The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, April 30th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning, my name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. Uh, It is uh, always a, a privilege and a joy to be able to gather together on Sunday mornings to to hear God's word, to pray together, to sing his praises. Um, So it is truly a joy to be with you today. Uh, The last two weeks, Pastor Robert has been introducing us to the book of Proverbs. He's uh, been looking at the first part of chapter one and then chapter nine, which uh, essentially serve as bookends to Solomon's introduction to Proverbs. Uh, Chapters one through nine loudly proclaim the the glories of heavenly wisdom and the depths of our foolishness. They set the stage for what the rest of Proverbs will show us. They help us to rightly understand um, what we're going to find in the book of Proverbs. So the writing changes in chapter 10 and and becomes uh, probably what you're more familiar with as Proverbs. Um, The author's move into uh, short statements and sayings that describe for us how, how to, um, as, as Robert put it, uh, skillfully walk in the ways that God has set out for us. Um, so they, we, we just get statement after statement after statement um, from chapter 10 to chapter 31. Uh, Proverbs isn't simply a handbook of, of laws or rules to be followed. It is, it is a guide. It is a guide into wisdom. It is a guide into walking wisely after God. Um, the thing, that, the thing that Proverbs speaks the most about, other than wisdom, is our mouth, our words. It talks about the way we speak more than it does anything else. There are around 150 verses in Proverbs that are devoted to the tongue, the, the mouth, our speech, our words. That uh, essentially breaks down um, to uh, one in every six verses in Proverbs is talking about the way that we talk. Our words are a huge part of who we are, and they are a big reflection of what is going on inside of us. Uh, they, they clearly show what is happening in our hearts. Proverbs clearly shows that our, that our words, our, our mouths can be wonderful gifts and also bring about great harm. This is a consistent theme throughout Proverbs, of showing the beauty of, of our words and the harm and the difficulty of, of our words. A couple of years ago, I was at a, a conference, and one of the speakers asked the question at the beginning of his uh, speech, uh, do you remember your first text message? And so I will ask you now, um, do you remember? And, and if you remember it, do you remember what you felt as you received that te- text message? Um, I can remember very clearly uh, what I got and the feeling I got when I got my first text message. Um, I was sitting and waiting and my phone buzzed and I looked and it said these beautiful words, I'm going to be late. Um, (laughs) And it's about half of the text messages I still receive today. Uh, But I, I just remember seeing that and looking at it and saying, that's amazing. That's that's awesome. It just says right there, he's going to be late. Um, most of the time today, I feel a consistent mix 
of being thankful for the technology that we have and feeling like I want to bury my phone in the backyard in a hole so deep that no one can ever find it. Um, Something that started off only as good, seemed almost magical that it appeared on my phone, quickly became something that I, I wish I could get rid of. Parents, you know the same feeling in a, in a similar way. You wait so long. You long for your children to say something. After they are born, you are waiting and longing for them to say just a single word, just anything. You spend hours each day making every sound that you can think of, trying to lead them to that first word. And then they get there, and it is the greatest feeling of joy. All the baby did was make a different sound, but you are confident that they said light, and that that means that they were trying to say lightsaber, and they know that they love (laughs) Star Wars. It's their first word. You're, you are literally calling everybody you know. You've posted it on social media. You've sent the video to your friends. It is a miracle. A baby made a sound that kind of sounded like a word. And, and it is such an exciting moment. And then you can fast forward two to three years. And you're on a road trip. And parents, <laughs> you know that road trip. And that miracle baby said that single word hasn't stopped talking for four hours and most of it's just nonsense and and if that miracle baby has a miracle sibling then they have been arguing about who has more cheese on their pizza and you just say this has to stop Uh, what screen can I put in front of them what candy can I put in their mouth that will just make the stop talking for 10 minutes Just two years earlier, all you wanted in life was for this child to say a single word. Such an amazing gift quickly becomes something that is both good and bad. The Bible actually shows us this pattern from the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, we get a description of God creating all things. And he creates the first man. He creates Adam. And we get a glimpse in chapter 2 at how we begin to use our words. God gives Adam the responsibility to name every new creature that he's creating. God is speaking birds and fish and every creature into into existence. And Adam is right there naming each of them. And then God creates woman. He creates Eve and he brings her to Adam. And the first recorded words from, from a man's mouth are wonderful. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What loving words. You see someone and say, at last, we are one. The first words of humanity are creative. They are loving. They are unifying. And yet, not long after that, after Adam and Eve's sin, do what God told them not to do, their words quickly turn into deception shame, accusations against one another, accusations against God. Our words from the very beginning have been a miraculous gift that God has given us. And yet, because of sin, because we have sinful hearts, our words have the power to bring about great hurt, pain, deceit, death. So we're going to be looking today at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. These verses show us the wide-ranging impacts that words have 
If you want to turn to it, it is on page 541 of the Bible in front of you. You can turn there. This is Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. The author is Solomon, and he says this. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The message version of the Bible says it this way. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. This proverb helps us clearly see that our words have great power. It also helps us to see that our words clearly reveal what is going on in our hearts and that our mouths are in desperate need of of redemption. So let's... Let's pray together and ask God to do this for us today. Father, we, we thank you for the amazing gift that you have given us, um, the ability to speak, the ability to use our words. Uh, Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, um, help us to see clearly uh, the, the intention that you have for our mouths and our, and our words, and that you would give us a desire to get closer and closer to that. Um, and that through that, many of us would be encouraged and strengthened. Um, we would speak words uh, about you, and we would speak words of life to one another. I pray that you do a great work in my heart and the hearts of everyone here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, was, I was seven years old. Words have great power. I was seven years old. We had a really cranky old neighbor that lived next to us. I at least believed he was to be cranky. Um, And one day he saw me playing in the yard with my Star Wars toys and looked at me and said the words, aren't you a little too old to be playing with toys? Now, looking back on it, I should have probably thought, no, I'm seven. That's probably not too old. (laughs) But it was an adult talking to me. So as a seven-year-old with insecurity, I was just like, yeah, he's probably right. time for me to go get a job. Um, (laughs) I didn't play with toys for like 30 years after after that. And then I got my own kids and I started playing with Star Wars toys again. Our words are powerful. It's been 38 years since a neighbor said one unkind sentence to me. And I still remember it. And I remember how it felt. We all know the power of words. We have all felt it personally. We all have things that were said to us a year ago, 30 years ago, that when we think about them, they still hurt. They might still hurt just as much as they did then. They sit in our hearts and minds. They build insecurities and fears. They shape decisions that we make throughout our lives. Words are remarkably powerful. The Bible is, is honest about this. It doesn't try to sugarcoat this at all. God's word is very clear about the power of words, probably clearer than we, we even think about. So I just want you to listen to some of these verses, and I, and, and I want you to let the weight of the language that the Bible uses just, just sink in. We just read Proverbs 18, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Also in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
The book of James in the New Testament puts it this way, that the tongue is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. Ephesians 4.29 commends us to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for building up. Our words can corrupt. They can crush the spirit. They are like sword thrust. They are restless evil full of poison. Death is in the power of the tongue. Those are powerful things. Those are weapons to be used for good or for bad. Through our words, we can convince children that they can accomplish anything in the world and we can set them on a path in that way. But we can also convince those same children that they have absolutely no value. And either of those things will shape their, their lives, will shape them in some way. It will stick with them their entire lives. Very literally, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Our words are maybe the most powerful weapons that we have in our culture today. They're certainly one of the most used weapons in our culture today. Through our words, we can convince people that, that babies don't deserve the opportunity to be born. The fight over abortion and how we view children and babies in the womb has become a battleground of words. People have used their words to try and convince all of us that if a baby hasn't been born, then it's not really a baby. It's a clump of cells. That abortion is not about life, it's about choice. If you believe that every baby is created in the image of God, and should have the chance to be born, then you will be told that you are not pro-life, you are anti-choice, you are anti-women. You cannot love those who are hurting and suffering and also disagree with them and, and, and long for the children to be born. You cannot be in that with them and care for them, but also desire for that child to be born and not hate women, hate the things that the world treasures. Words can take otherwise very reasonable people and lead them to do otherwise unthinkable things. Words change how we view things. I love history and I, I, am, I am so interested in the fact that entire people groups, entire countries can turn in a matter of months or years, mostly because of the way that we use words. It was with words that Hitler convinced the German people that it was right to fear and to hate Jewish people. Hitler wasn't the strongest, biggest guy in Germany. If you saw him on the street, you would have no fear that he was going to hurt you physically. But he used his words to promote fear and anger and tear down people made in God's image. And that led to the murder of over six million Jews. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can use our mouths to do horrible things to other people, and we can use our, our words to convince other people to do horrible things. That's just how wicked our mouths have become. This isn't just for people in power. This isn't just for other people that they need to hear this. This is for all of us. The book of James that we mentioned earlier says that no one can control the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. Honestly speaking, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't sin with my mouth, that I don't hurt someone that I care about by saying something mean or saying something too harshly. 
I've been at this a long time, and yet I still hurt others consistently with what I say or how I say it. Death is in the power of the tongue. Our words can destroy. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy families. It can destroy us. But God's word reminds us that our words, our mouths, on their own, are not the problem. They simply reveal what is already going on inside of our hearts and minds. Our mouths are sinful, but they reveal what is going on inside of us. The mouth is is not really where the problem starts. It starts in the heart. Our words come from somewhere. It is not just that the tongue on its own is evil. Our words reveal what we think about, what we feel, what we dwell upon. It reveals what is in our heart. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells them this wonderful statement. This is Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you treasure evil, your mouth will produce evil. If you treasure good, your mouth will produce good. Back in our passage in Proverbs 18, the author Solomon says something very similar. He says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the fruit of his lips. I really like that God intended to use the word satisfied. That's a helpful word to me. And the word translated here, stomach, is used to describe a person's whole self. It's the same way that we use heart. He's saying that a sinful heart is completely satisfied when it uses its mouth for sinful purposes. It is satisfying to say what is on our hearts and minds. We take satisfaction in being the person who is seen as knowing information about others. It makes us feel important, and so we gossip. We take satisfaction in getting some measure of justice or vengeance against those who have hurt us, those that we don't like, and so we slander against them. We take satisfaction in people thinking that we are great and they need to think highly of us, and so we boast about ourselves. We feel dissatisfied with our own lives, and so we use our words to curse and demean and tear down others. We feel anger and hatred in our hearts, and so we are quarrelsome and harsh with our words. We use our mouths to satisfy what is already stirring in our hearts. Our mouths and our words clearly show that there's a war going on in our hearts and minds. Our words reveal what our heart desires. They show us whether we have truly been changed by the love of God. There are a few things that show clearly where your heart is more than your words. Now, researchers have figured out, I don't know how you figure this out, but researchers have figured out that the average American opens our mouths to speak 700 times a day. 700 times a day, we reveal what is going on in our hearts. 700 opportunities to bless or to curse, to build up or to destroy. How many times a day do I use my mouth for good? I have 700 opportunities. How good, uh, honestly speaking, 
If I, use, if I felt like in a given day I used my words for good 50 times, it might be the greatest day of my life. Taking that many times to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, to, to talk about the greatness of God, and yet I know that's not how I use my words. I know how badly I fail. I, there are days that I feel like I haven't said anything good all day long. I feel like I've only hurt the people that I've been around. If you want to know, and this is important for us to know, if you want to know how hopelessly lost we are apart from Jesus, if you want to feel completely overwhelmed in our ability to save ourselves and to make ourselves right, then you don't need to look any further than how we use our words. They reveal to us the height, the width, and the depth of our sinful hearts. But in the same way, someone who longs after God has been transformed by Jesus, has been made alive by Jesus, who longs after righteousness, they will rejoice. They will be satisfied when truth is spoken. They will be satisfied when people are encouraged. They will be satisfied when hope is spoken to those who are disheartened. The person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness finds a deep satisfaction when God's word is spoken and it brings life to others. When our hearts are full of jealousy, bitterness, anger, and pride, then we will destroy and kill with our words. But when God transforms our hearts and brings us to life, he gives us a whole new way of speaking. He transforms our hearts, he transforms our mouth, he puts words into our mouth, a whole new way of talking. Apart from God, we use our words as weapons to, to build ourselves up and to tear down others. But in Christ, our mouths can become what Proverbs say are a fountain of life, it can become a source of healing and salvation. Your mouth can build up others and be used to rescue lost people from eternal separation from God. Your mouth can be used to bring hope and healing to those who are hurting, to those who are lost. Jesus redeems our mouth, and he wants us to use our mouths to bring life. Our mouths and our words were intended for good. It is true that death is in the power of the tongue. It is also true that life is in the power of the tongue. Our words can be gracious. They can be centered on Christ. They can be hope-filled. The reality is that your words are going to generate some kind of harvest. In Proverbs 18, the word fruit is actually the first and last word in these, in these, verse, in these verses. The book in this entire proverb. One commentator said it this way, a man grows fruit so that at harvest time his stomach and those in his family may be filled and he may be satisfied. He takes great care over this work because it is literally life or death to him. If his harvest fails or his fruit fails, he will starve and die. And since his life depends on it, he will put his heart and soul into his work. God is asking us here to put as much loving care into what we say. For me, it is not really that difficult to believe that words can harm, can be harmful, 
I've hurt others with my words and I've been hurt. It is harder for me to believe that words truly can have an impact for good, can make a difference. That the words that, that, that we use could actually be life-giving to those who hear them. There is hope for our mouths. Our words can heal. Our words can build strength in others and not tear them down. What we need, what we have to learn is to turn to Jesus, to transform our hearts and transform our mouths. We can't just talk our way out of this. We can't just push our way out of this. We can't just tell ourselves, do better, and suddenly our words become a fountain of life to those around us. We can't just force it out. We can't just say, okay, I'm only going to say these few things. And we also can't just stop talking. I think for much of my life as a, as a Christian, I've thought maybe that's a higher calling. Maybe, maybe if I can just get it under control. Maybe if I just stop talking. Sometimes we need to stop talking. But that was the highest goal for me. That's what most of us are, are shooting for. We know that we can easily hurt people with our mouths. And so we live by principles like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But that falls far short of what God intends for his people. When he transforms someone, he makes you a new creation. He gives you a new mouth and new words. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. But in Christ, all things are possible. He doesn't redeem your mouth just to tell you to stop talking. We need to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. The most well-known passage in the Bible, I believe, on the mouth is in the book of James in the New Testament. And it talks about taming the tongue. And in that passage, James makes this statement, no man, no one can tame the tongue. And I have taken that for a long time. I've taken that verse and I've tried to make it something that it's not. I've taken that as a challenge that I need to tame my tongue. Not as a reminder that nobody can do it, but as a challenge to get my mouth under control. I've turned it into a, a statement where the Christian life is just about self-control. I've turned it into just don't say what's really on your mind. Don't say what you're thinking. Still have the same thoughts, still have the same feelings, but I think that I've accomplished something good because I didn't say it out loud. It's probably better than saying it, but it's still there. The idea in Proverbs and here in James is so much more and it's so much better than simple self-control of our mouths. Uh, we took our kids uh, to SeaWorld not too long ago. By far, the highlight of the show was the, the dolphin show. Um, I know everybody already loves dolphins. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of dolphins, uh, the animal or the football team. Um, and the main reason is I read, a, I read an article uh, a couple years ago entitled 17 Reasons Dolphins Are More Dangerous Than You Ever Imagined. Um, it really exists and it will really mess you up. Um, don't look it up. So I'm going to this show ready to defend my family from these smiling, cute predators. But two minutes in, basically my kids are asking me to stop embarrassing them and sit down because I am out of my seat cheering and screaming. 
I know you've seen these shows before. I don't have to describe it. But they, they have taught dolphins on command to basically walk on water. And I'm not exaggerating. They just skip across the water. They are jumping 20 feet in the air doing flips. The trainers are riding on them and no one is getting eaten. And it's, it's this beautiful, amazing thing. And the Bible actually talks about this. In the book of James, we're, we're talking about taming the tongue. Chapters, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, James says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. That's an insane statement. Every kind of creature can be tamed, but no one can keep your mouth under control. We can take a 10 foot long, 1,000 pound sea creature and teach it to do tricks in front of an audience every day of the week, but we can't tame the tongue. In a day and time where we go into space regularly, fly across the world, stream videos to our phone, seems like there is no limitation to what we are capable of doing. And yet, I don't think any of us can disagree that no one can tame the tongue. Here's what that means for us. What God intends for our mouths is more than making ourselves not talk. Because I can tell you, we could actually do that. If that's what was intended in James, that we just stop talking, we can make that happen. Monks take vows of silence. We can stop ourselves from speaking for a time. We can even teach ourselves to not speak very much. Taming that dolphin, taming that sea creature, doesn't mean just breaking its spirit. That's part of it. We don't want it to just sit there. Part of taming a horse isn't just getting it broken so that it doesn't do anything. It is now training it and teaching it to do what we need it to do. Teaching it things that hopefully bring joy to those around them. Teaching them to be helpful and good. Our words can become life-giving, but that won't happen by simply teaching ourselves to be silent all the time. It is about hearts being filled up with all the goodness that God has done for us. All the goodness that God is, and then skillfully training your heart and your mouth to speak words of life. People will hear those words and be refreshed and encouraged. Ephesians 4 says, we will give grace to those who hear. We have been given an amazing gift in being able to use our mouths and use our words. God gave us these gifts, not so that we won't use them, but so that we would use them for good. We get to sing God's praises. We get to encourage one another. We get to tell one another of the great works that God has done in our lives. We get to proclaim uh, uh, the, the, the wonderful good news, the gospel, to a lost and dying word. Our words can be used to encourage, to teach, to affirm, to reconcile, to forgive, and to unite. That is an amazing gift. Pastor John Piper put it this way. Beautiful quote. He says, a critical heart produces a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart produces a boastful tongue. An ungrateful heart produces a grumbling tongue. 
But a heart that knows that it has received undeserved grace produces a gracious tongue. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. Proverbs as a whole paints a big picture of how we use our words. There are so many good ways to, to use them. We won't get into all of, all of them. But, but Proverbs guides us in a, into how to use our words in a way that will help encourage and strengthen others. But um, I don't want to leave here without giving you something practical today. And I'm giving it to you because it's something that I'm going to try to do because I'm not very good at it. Um, and I just want you to consider doing this. For the next seven days, when you see something that is, that is good in someone's life, tell them what you see. Every time you think that person was really Christ-like, and we should start to think that more and more. Every time you think those things, tell that person what you saw in them. A heart that is, that is longing after Christ should desire to see Jesus at work in the lives of others. And I want to become skillful as a Christian. I want us to become skillful at a, as a church at seeing Christ at work in the lives of others and then using our words to encourage that, to, to, to affirm that, to build that up. People need to hear that. People need to be strengthened in that way. We won't have a form to fill out next week. I'm working on that form so that, she, you know, but no, don't get it anxious. We won't follow up with it. But I just encourage you to consider it. And because so many times we see these things and we're so afraid to use our mouths. We're so afraid that things might be taken wrong that we just don't open our mouths at all. We have an opportunity to strengthen and build up. And I encourage you to, to think about that. There's so much that tears us down in this world that we need to become better and more skillful at, at encouraging and building up one another. God has called us to better, better things. We are in a world today where more words are being spoken and written than any other time in history. We don't need to just add our voice to the noise. God has given us an opportunity and the ability to use our words to say something meaningful, to say something that is worth saying. God has made your mouth to give grace and life to others. So it is good to take the time to practice that to be intentional about it, to take the care and then put that into action. We started by looking at the statement in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So then how do we actually get there? If we know that death is there, we know that life could be there, how do we get to the point where we are offering words of life? It is by trusting and believing that God has given us a new heart. He has put in new words into our mouth. So we are always running always depending, always trusting in the one who has the words of eternal life. We're going to close out by looking um, at the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Um, if you want to turn there, you can. It's page 892 in your pew Bible. Uh, this is an amazing chapter. It's one of the longer chapters in the New Testament. These cha this chapter basically shows two days in the life of, of Jesus. It is a well-known two days. At least some of the events on, on these days are well-known. This is the day that Jesus feeds a great crowd of, of probably 15,000 people. We know that there were 5,000 men there, probably as many as 15,000 people. He feeds them with two loaves of bread and five fish. 
That's one thing in the day. The same day Jesus walks on water, um, in the midst of this great storm, that same day later that day, he walks on water. And then the next day, he begins to teach the people that are, that are, that are with him. Um, he is teaching them that everyone is in need of him. He is referencing back to the, to the meal that he made. He's talking about the bread that, that, they, that they consumed. And he is saying, you, you actually need me. You need me more than you even need that, that bread. Um, my, my words will bring to you something that the bread can't. And he is speaking and teaching to them um, these wonderful truths. And then this amazing exchange happens at the end of chapter 6, starting in verse 63. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then after that, he starts to expand on that and tells us that, that it is God that saves us. It is God that is at work. And in verse 65, he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And many of those same people who had just seen him feed 15,000 people with some bread and fish, they probably had heard the stories from the disciples about him walking on water in the midst of the storm. But this teaching starts happening, and because of this teaching, many walk away. They, they, they leave him. And so Jesus, in the midst of that, he looks at his 12 disciples, and he says in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? And something amazing happens. The apostle Peter speaks up. And that's not always a good thing when Peter opens his mouth. But this one is good. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew that his life, his heart, his beliefs had been changed, and they needed to be changed. And because of that, he was desperate to be with the one who had the words of eternal life. We can give grace to others through our words. Why? Because God has been so gracious to us. Our mouths can become a fountain of life. Why? Because God has raised us up from the dead and brought us to life. And now we live in Christ, the one who has the words of eternal life. We can now speak love, truth, honesty, encouragement. We can proclaim things without being ashamed that there is, that there is salvation from our sins. And we don't have to do it in some forced out legalistic way. But they will joyfully come out of a heart that is consumed with a God who has spoken to us in this way. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. This should be the cry of every one of us when we realize how poorly and sinfully we use our words. When we know how, how bad we are with our words, we turn to the one that when people saw him, it says that they were amazed at the way he spoke. When we turn and trust in the one who has the words of eternal life, it transforms our mouths because it transforms our hearts. We no longer are just saying what we want to say whenever we want to say it, but our hearts and our mouths are filled with the greatness of God. 
The author Paul Tripp put it this way, God is at work taking people who instinctively speak for themselves and transforming them into people who effectively speak for him. We get to speak for God. What a gift. This, this is just such an amazing gift that we get to be a part of. And yet, it is so hard. We feel so angry, so hurt, so full of things that we wish that we could say to people. We rehearse them in our minds. We are consumed by them. We see people say horrible things on social media, and it provokes us. And we want to say horrible things back to them. It's very hard, and I often fail. But that should just lead us to be so thankful that Jesus never used his words the way we use ours. Jesus never said the things that we would want to say that just come to our mind. He didn't speak in that way. He didn't speak simply because we had done something bad. He spoke words of life at all times. No one was ever so worthy to be honored with words, and yet he humbly sacrificed himself. No one was ever more worthy of being followed and, 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 and more deserving of our obedience. And yet, he is so patient with people like us. He is kind and gentle and loving. No one was ever more capable of taking themselves down from a cross and bringing judgment on all those people that were cursing him, calling out for his death, using their words to curse Jesus, and yet he used his dying words to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross and he took on the penalty, the punishment for every foolish, cruel, harsh, idle word that I've ever spoken. He took the punishment for our lies, our gossip, our boasting, our complaining, He's not only taken on those things, but he is also the only one that can provide healing and can truly heal when you've been hurt by words that have crushed your soul. So when we feel overwhelmed and we feel like there is no hope, when we feel like we can't control our mouths at all, we turn and we look to Jesus. When we feel crushed and hurt by the words of others, we turn and we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus on the cross and we see him there and we trust him. We, 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 we know that we can be free from all of these things forever. In eternity, those words that have hurt you will have no power over you. You will not be consumed with them any longer. In eternity, the words that you have used to hurt others will not be held against you if you have repented and trusted in Jesus. That is an amazing gift. That is an amazing opportunity. That is an amazing thing that we have to do with our words. And it's because God has spoken to us, spoken to us through his son. That is an amazing gift. And I hope that we continue to use our words in ways that seek after him. If you are here today and you have not trusted and believed in Christ, I'm so glad that you are here. I honestly and love that you are here with us. I just want you to know you can't be perfect. This isn't a sermon that says become perfect with your words. You can't do it. The Bible tells us that. You can't be perfect with your actions, and you don't have to be. 
You can stop trying to save yourself. You can stop trying to say enough good things that you finally feel like you've saved yourself from the bad things that you've said. You can't be perfect. You can turn and trust in Christ who calls out to you with his words. Come to me. If you are weary and tired, come to me and I will give you rest. We're going to take a couple minutes here and reflect on, on these words, reflect on these scriptures. During this time, if you have not trusted in him, this, I want you to take this time to really consider the great might and power of God. Afterwards, we're going to take communion together. And if you have not trusted in Christ, again, just stay there. Take time to consider what God has done. Consider your need of him. Talk to somebody after the service about what it means to trust in following Christ. Find somebody around you. Find one of the pastors. And for all of us who have trusted in Christ and believed in his power to save us, we're going to come and we're going to take the bread and dip it into the juice and hear the power of God proclaimed that Christ was given, that Christ came and died so that we can be saved. And as you come, members of this church will speak words of life to you. They will remind you, they will speak to you that the body of Christ was offered for you and that the blood of Christ was shed for you. And we will be reminded of the great words of Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will be reminded of his power and we will proclaim his power as a church. Let's pray together and then we'll take a couple minutes to reflect. Father, I, I come to you humbly. I confess I have... I have use my words in so many ways that I wish I had. I have hurt others with my words intentionally, unintentionally. It is somehow easy to come here on Sunday morning and sing these praises to you and yet still leave here tearing down people around me, using my words to curse the people around me. God, forgive, forgive us. Forgive us when we don't turn to you. God, help us to rest in your love for us, to be reminded of what you have done for us. Remind us of your words day after day. Let them be on our heart at all time. And through that, I pray that you would make my words that would make our words become life-giving words to one another and to those who don't know you yet. And I pray that you would do great things through that, that you would use our, our half-hearted efforts sometimes, but take your words, take the words that we speak, use them in great ways. Father, help us to speak truthfully, graciously, encouragingly, hopefully to one another. At all times, remind us and let a song of praise to you be on our hearts and on our mouths. Father, continue to shape, conform us to your image. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful gifts that you have given to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.